the reality is that for consulting and for your personal brand, it's all about trust. It's about earning trust at scale. And the more people you can demonstrate that trust to, and really a lot of that trust comes from things like education and it comes from social proof and it comes from, you know, having like a track record essentially. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Confessions of a B2B Marketer podcast. My name is Tom Hunt, your host, and today we have an incredible guest. We have Corey Haynes. Now, this guy is on a journey. He's on a journey through the world of marketing. For those that don't know, Corey started off his journey at Bear Metrics, experienced some pretty rapid growth with the company, and also experienced a lot of exposure through their brand. He's since left and is working on a few different products, all in the world of marketing. So we jump into Corey's understanding and definition of marketing, but also we highlight and illuminate his journey through the world of marketing, which I think is going to be very useful for any marketers listening. Now, before we get into that, I have to give a shout out to my man, John Draper, who left this delightful review on Apple Podcasts. I only recently discovered this podcast Whilst out on a slow run, I listen to a lot of podcasts around marketing and business and the way Tom so openly shares his own insights as well as interviews others is really unique and valuable. Thank you, John. John's business is Stormy Studio, an award-winning UK business animation studio can be found at stormystudio.com. And of course, guys, I have to give a shout out to the only tool you must have in your marketing toolbox. Now, at Fame and Becast, we're pretty lean and that we don't like to bring in costs that are not directly going to add value to us as a business or directly to our customers. And we are, of course, paying for Ahrefs. But you don't actually have to pay because Ahrefs have pulled out three of their best features and will give them to you for free. You simply have to go to ahrefs.com forward slash webmaster tools. Those three things are obviously monitoring your FEO health. They scan for various different issues and tell you when something goes wrong. They tell you when you get new backlinks, and they also tell you which keywords are bringing you that traffic is completely free. ahrefs.com forward slash webmaster tools. Go and do it. Now, let's jump in to the discussion with Corey. Corey, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, glad to be here. So Corey, you're clearly on a journey, right? (laughs) A journey within the world of marketing. And so my goal for this episode is to understand more about you and the journey from pre-Bear Metrics, Bear Metrics, and up to today, but then also ideally take some marketing learnings from that journey that the audience can gain. So let's kick off and understand the almost pre-Bear Metrics like stage. Where were you? Why did you originally decide to join Bear Metrics? Yeah, so I'll zoom out a little bit and kind of rewind into even post-breaking into tech a little bit. And I guess my marketing journey sort of started in college and I was like a, an accidental marketer. I think as most people would, like no one grows up wanting to be a marketer most days. And so in college, I had started listening to podcasts. I sort of always had this end goal of being an entrepreneur and a founder, but I didn't really know like the right way to get there. So I thought maybe I'd go through like finance and I'd, you know, get an accounting degree and sort of climb the corporate ladder and then like, I don't know, be a CEO one day, maybe possibly. And then I started listening to all these podcasts about people who were entrepreneurs. And then it kind of like flipped everything because the entrepreneurs I really admired and liked were all e-commerce founders. And so I started getting more into e-commerce. And then e-commerce is like being an entrepreneur in e-commerce and a marketer is like one and the same, basically. And so I found myself 
learning web design, email marketing, store inventory, CRO, kind of best practices. And then I started doing a little bit of web design in college, just kind of like pay the bills and just for extra cash. And because friends were like, hey, you design websites and you know yours looks good. So like, can you help me? And so I would help people with local stores and friends help up set up their Shopify store. And then I actually, I was still planning on going through and getting like a finance degree. But the college that I transferred to, I found out after transferring that they didn't have an accounting degree. And the two degrees that they offered were business marketing and business global management. I was like, I don't know what this whole global management thing is. So I might as well just do marketing. And then figured out like, oh, this is actually like right up my alley and what I really like. And so fast forward now to the end of college, I was planning to propose to my uh, girlfriend and the sort of terms with her parents were I need to have a job lined up for after I graduated. And so I hit the phones, hit the internet, started going through Google on sort of best places to work. It happened, you know, I went through a whole bunch. Actually, I got hung up once, which is like a crazy story if you wanted to get into it. But I ended up getting an interview with this tech startup here in San Diego called Cordial and got hired on the, on the spot and started as the marketing intern there. So Cordial, I call it like my, my crash course in marketing because I was the first marketing hire. I basically did anything and everything for two years and everything from planning and sponsoring conferences with like VPs of marketing at Macy's and Nordstrom all the way to managing the Twitter account and running the blog and doing copywriting for new pages. And so after about two years, I figured I sort of realized there were things that I liked and I didn't like. The things that I really liked were more on the content marketing side of things, kind of early stage growth side of things. And things that I didn't like were things like events and operations and things like that. So when I saw the opportunity for Parametrics, I knew that it would be a great fit. Awesome. So the whole journey started with podcasting. Yeah. And then it sounds like you had two years or a great foundational two years that typical intern role where you're literally doing everything and you might be rubbish at the start by the end of the two years you're getting better at copywriting etc so that all makes total sense and then you just saw an ad for the bare metrics role but with that head of growth with that job ad for that role or it was okay yeah i'd actually started as an intern about three months later after i graduated i got hired on full-time and then it was like officially like the marketing manager essentially and then later moved on to be like the content marketing manager but actually so the job ad for bare metrics was a tweet from Josh, essentially. And so he, there was an official sort of job description and posting on the website, but that's how I saw it. It wasn't like I was looking for a new job or scanning through Indeed or Monster. It just kind of like popped up my feed because again, I listened to his podcast and uh, was aware of this whole kind of SaaS world and bootstrapping world. The podcast appears again. Now, there's something that happened with you at Bear Metrics. Now, I think I first heard of you personally through Bear metrics in that either it was an active decision by you or other people in Bear metrics to raise your profile or to have you almost as an influencer in the industry. Was that an active decision decision from your or their side, or did that just happen naturally? Yeah, it was sort of a natural evolution that I think I maybe like amplified or kind of invested into. I remember actually, you know, when I announced that I got the job and Josh announced it as well, I gained like a thousand followers overnight. I went from like 500 to 1500 and on Twitter and I'd already been active there, but basically it was like, everyone was like, Oh, who's this guy? What is he going to do for bear metrics? What should we know about him? And then I also knew that I just wanted to get plugged in with the community. I took the job with bear metrics because I really wanted to work with and get to know and be close to SaaS founders. Cause that's eventually, that was my kind of end goal that I had in sight. So I thought 
what better way to sort of get some experience through osmosis than to be able to like sit down with founders, look at their metrics, talk about their business and kind of get an inside look. It was just a little bit selfish, but really I just wanted to get to know the community. I wanted to help out. And I also knew that if I was going to do that, I would have to sort of prove who I was and why I should be worthy of someone's attention because it would be, it would be sort of selfish and assuming of me to just kind of like come in and then be like, Oh, I'm the head of growth now. And you should listen to me because X, Y, and Z. Like I had to be able to prove that I knew what I was talking about, to be helpful, to give. And so my sort of personal brand or personal profile, if you want to say, was just a result of me trying to build goodwill with the community. Makes sense. This is a super interesting question for me, talking about the value transfer between employee and business owner. Because clearly the value you got from Bear Metrics, you obviously had, you were remunerated fairly, I assume. You learned a lot in the journey, but you also were exposed to the audience of Bear Metrics and that presumably has helped you in your journey to date. And so some employers may like try to steer away from that and they wouldn't want the audience of their business that they spent money to build up to be transposed onto their employees. What do you think about that? And if you had employees in the future that were benefiting from your personal brand or your business brand, what would you do about this? Would you encourage that? I think it's becoming more and more apparent that the employee brand or the personal brand it like far eclipses the company brands because especially today, like there's all these sort of corporate logos on social media and people don't want to interact with companies because they know that there's a person behind it or there's a team of people behind it, but it still doesn't feel personal at all. And so you see a lot of people uh, embracing sort of like these public founder figures, especially like people like Elon Musk, right? Where you can kind of like no one follows Tesla. They follow Elon Musk for Tesla essentially, right? So he becomes like the spokesperson. The real opportunity and risk is when you start to do the same thing with employees, not just founders of a business. The pros are definitely that you see companies like Drift, where they really raise up the profile of someone like Dave Gerhardt with the Seeking Wisdom uh, podcast. And now he's like a mini founder in and of himself. He has his own following and like he can sort of brute force his way into getting more people to get to know Drift and sort of the rising tide lifts all boats. And you saw a lot of other people do their, do that at Drift as well, where I think, again, it wasn't like this, oh, here's who I am, but it was just how can I build goodwill with the community by being a very kind of public facing figure and talking about what we're doing, sharing our learnings, being transparent, and not necessarily like being a thought leader, quote unquote. And in that way, I mean, it's almost like having, you know, everyone becomes the marketing team, essentially, which is fantastic because when everyone's a marketer, then uh, you become five to 10 times more effective and you can really amplify the voices of those people. The cons are it's risky, obviously, right? I mean, what if Dar- Dave Gerhardt went to a competitor or what if an employee does something wrong or bad? Or We haven't seen a lot of those. I think that might become more apparent later on. But still, I think that there's a lot of inherent risk in it. I'm all for it. I think it's the future. I think that we're going to see a lot more companies really invest in their employees and helping give them a voice. Their metrics grew while you were head of growth. I think you were there for about one and a half years. What would you say is the one or two things that you did that had the biggest impact on growth? It's interesting because if you look at bare metrics and public metrics are, um, the metrics are public. So you can go to demo.baremetrics.com and you can look through a lot of the key metrics like MRR and average revenue per user and lifetime value and churn and active customers. And if you look especially at the active customers metric, it's fairly flat for about three or four years. And so really what, where a lot of the growth came from was in the form of expansion revenue. 
And it's not really a coincidence either because we made a lot of investments into the pricing model and the pricing strategy, as well as add-ons for beer metrics as well. So it wasn't just the metrics and the analytics. Then there was also recover and cancellation insights. There was others that we tried, some worked, some didn't work as well. But really, if you look, I mean, the thing that absolutely worked was investing into the add-ons, recover and cancellation insights. So I was working very hands-on with a lot of our customer base, doing a lot of uh, product work as well, just trying to make sure that it's up to par with what people are expecting and understanding the reasons why people use it or don't use it, and then bringing those up so that we can get more people to use them. And that was probably about 50% of the growth overall, which is getting more people to use those add-ons. The other one is the pricing. The pricing had huge gaps. There was a lot of outdated kind of practices and systems. It was even as simple as just, hey, let's figure out a good way to get people to upgrade at the appropriate time because people would just kind of put it off or they would get a discount or they would... There's all sorts of missed, like low-hanging fruit, essentially. And so tighten the pricing, introduce new tiers, introduce new ways to, to upgrade, new paths to upsells. And that worked really, really well. But if you see that active customers didn't move a lot. And that was a struggle, to be honest, that was hard. But we managed to grow mainly through expansion. For someone who's built their career around marketing, who hosts a podcast called Everything is Marketing, are you saying that 50% of the drivers to bare metrics growth were product? Tell us more. Do you think I'm accurate by saying that? Well, I wouldn't say it's product necessarily. One of the factors was the pricing within the product that was kind of anchored on a value metric of MRR, right? And so the more that a company or a customer grows, the more that bare metrics grows. And so inherently, there's kind of like this tailwind that we could ride where as the customer base grew and companies were successful, our MRR would just naturally grow with them, essentially, you know, to a certain degree, we're capturing a small part of that. But there were these huge gaps, right? And so if you had pricing tiers at 10,000 MRR, 100,000 MRR, and 1 million MRR, we would not get these results at all. The expansion would not happen because the jumps would be too high. We would either be drastically under monetizing or drastically over monetizing and causing a lot of churn. And so we really tweaked the pricing model to really figure out the right tiers, the right places, the right way to introduce it so that people weren't sort of triggered and turned off by it. And the right way to capture that value as well, because there was a lot of other things. We really simplified it at the end of the day a lot. So I wouldn't call it price or I wouldn't call it product. But at the end of the day, I would also argue that everything is marketing, even sort of the, the product and the way that it's used. And again, those kind of mechanisms and levers that you use to extract value from the product. It was a beautiful tee up for the for a pitch on the podcast. We'll talk more about that later though. <laughs> now, so yeah. it seems from the early part of this interview, you were saying that perhaps it was always a goal for you to be an entrepreneur slash CEO. You then spent, I think it was four to five years uh, employed in marketing or growth roles, right? So why at the, I think it was about a year and a half ago, or maybe less than that actually, did you decide to leave and take that step to the thing that you were planning to do? Yeah. So as of this recording, it was last September. So it was about six months ago, which is crazy because already that much time has passed. But essentially came to the time where I figured like I was getting some traction with Swipe Files, which I knew was sort of like what I call launchpad business or what Andrew Wilkinson uh, would call launchpad business, where it's not going to like take me to the moon, make me a billionaire or anything. Not that I even want to become a billionaire, but it's something that's basically just going to pay the bills, not require a ton of time, be something that I can sort of invest in and uh, long term, essentially. Sorry to jump in because I want to make sure we capture this. Swipefast was something that you started while still at Bare Metrics. Correct. Yeah, on a side project. And what is the what is Swipefast? 
it's essentially a membership site is how I sort of describe it to my mom. <laughs> the fancier version is a content courses and community to master marketing. So it's basically just a, a community built off the back of content and courses where you know, we all come together. And the premise really is to help each other kind of level up through using a lot of different ideas from different industries and not just using the same old playbooks and tactics. Swipefast.com. There it is. There we go. Yeah. Now, so Josh was aware that you were doing this and was supportive, I assume. Yeah, absolutely. We all had side projects. He has and had many, many, many side projects. And so it was a natural kind of part of the company culture. I think we do have to give some give a shout out to Josh because two things he did whilst you were at Bear Metrics have really enabled you to flourish, I would say, both at Bear Metrics and past. Absolutely. So big shout out to Josh. A, allowing you to build the personal brand and leveraging Bear Metrics to do that. And then also building these things on the side. So shout out to Josh. Okay, cool. So Swipe Files was building on the side of Bear Metrics. You saw some traction and that gave you the confidence to be like, yes, I can go and do this and then work on other stuff while Swipe Files was bringing in cash to live. Yeah, I knew that I was sort of starting to see the traction and I was also getting unhappy with my own progress with it. I just felt like I didn't have enough time. I didn't want to take away or sort of do a bad job at Bear Metrics. And I was also, to be frank, I was getting a lot of job offers and consulting opportunities. And I was turning down the job offers, but I was looking at the consulting opportunities thinking, well, actually, I can sort of make the same amount doing less work with something a little bit more flexible that might be sort of this bridge to where I want to get to eventually. So instead of me just like cold turkey, you know, working on swipe files full time, I can kind of get the best of both worlds a little bit. And that just became apparent at that time that that was an opportunity. Finally, it sort of all dropped on my lap. And I figured that I'd be a dummy for not taking advantage of it. It is the beautiful transition from employment to entrepreneurship is consulting or contracting. So did you literally get a direct message on Twitter by a business saying, we want to pay you five grand a month to be a consultant for us? Is that what happened? Yeah, I had several and a lot of them weren't the right opportunity, but I just knew that they were coming through the door and that if I announced that I, because I also didn't want to take on something before I left Barometrics, and I didn't know the timing exactly, but I knew that once I announced that I was going to leave, that I would have maybe some kind of inbound. What ended up happening was I announced that I was leaving, and then I literally had like hundreds of people reach out over email and, and DMs. And it's a really fortunate position to be in because I basically just got to kind of cherry pick, like, here are the best opportunities and here are the most interesting ones or the things that I think I can do the best, which is not everyone's experience. But I knew that that was going to be an option for me. And something I could do on the side part-time while I work in Swipe Files and other ventures. For sure. That's like an amazing position to be in. Why do you think that you got all of these inbound inquiries? I think just the trust and the goodwill that I had built up with the community. I mean, I couldn't like hock it up to any sort of growth hack or tactic that I used or smart like offer that I made. It wasn't about the copywriting or this thing that I did, the strategy that I employed. It was really just goodwill I had built up. I even, I had a lot of people at Barometrics say, hey, you know, will you do consulting for us on the side, you know, with a Barometrics customer? I don't have to tell them no, because that'd be a conflict of interest and I don't have the time and it'd be an awkward relationship. And pretty sure that that's against sort of the terms of me being an employee of Barometrics as well. And so I knew that that was a thing, but also I just think it was me being able to demonstrate that I knew that what I was talking about and that people recognized that there was something there that if I could with all my experience at Barometrics, transfer some of that over to them because uh, I had some unique kind of skills and, and knowledge. Basically, being good at your job and being a legend is what I like to call it. <laughs> I so, wouldn't say so, being, so being, good. <laughs> being a legend. I mean, the reality is that for consulting and for your personal brand, it's all about trust. It's about earning trust at scale. And the more people you can demonstrate that trust to, 
And really a lot of that trust comes from things like education and it comes from social proof and it comes from, you know, having like a track record essentially. And I just happened to have all three of those going for me. I was doing a lot of education through Bearmetrics. I had a sort of proof with work I was doing for other customers and Bearmetrics. And then I had the track record of being able to do those things for Bearmetrics and other customers, as well as my own side projects as well, because I was launching a job board. I launched two courses, I launched swipe files. And so people could see that there was something there. I think that's a mistake that a lot of marketers make is they don't think of themselves like designers do this really well. They have a portfolio. They make like a, they actually do a really good job of kind of curating a personal brand and having like this image and persona that they put off. And marketers, they go to the next job or the next consulting and they say, well, here's what I can do. And here are the things that I'm good at, but they have nothing to back it up. There's no case studies. There's no proof. There's no public record of sort of what they've done. And so what do people have to go off of? And so I think that that was one of the things I had going for me. Totally agreed. We're getting into the meat now. So we've left, we have swipe files, we have some consulting contracts. I assume, correct me if I'm wrong, the goal is to transition off of consulting ultimately. Yeah, correct. Awesome. And so that this was six months ago that you left. Have we transitioned off of consulting now or are we still doing some work? Yeah, still doing consulting, still in uh, what I call entrepreneur purgatory, where I'm kind of halfway, you know, straddling the fence a little bit. But definitely ramping that down. So basically, I'm, I'm not trying to, again, do the cold turkey, like I'm just going to stop consulting one day, but basically ramping down a little bit. I'm really only working with one client right now and doing some basic advisory work for a couple others. Whereas before I was handling multiple contracts and I was advising a whole bunch of people and then I was doing paid deliverables and sort of these one-off projects. But yeah, the goal is this year, especially by 2021, it sort of had this public journey to a thousand true fans. And so this year, the goal is to get to a thousand true fans, aka a thousand members for swipe files, which would support me full time. And then I can officially get to default alive with my business and stop consulting. How much is swipe files per month? Per month is about $8, $8, It's $9.99 a year. This is no brainer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that was my whole goal was like, look, there's going to be a ton, a ton of value in the community. In fact, the whole strategy with the community is to uh, what Rosie Sherry calls like do some digital gardening. And so you're just like building and growing things within there. And over time, there's sort of these network effects, both with the people and with the knowledge that gets curated within the community. And I just wanted to find a price point that would be a no-brainer for anyone and everyone. I can figure out the pricing later, increase, decrease, but I just wanted to pick a number that was easy for people to understand and get on board with. Well, let's get Corey closer to the uh, 1,000 true fans. Anybody listening, swipefiles.com. Let's pick up the uh, $8 per month membership. Okay, so I want to understand the other things that you've been doing since leaving. We mentioned a job board. Could you explain that? Because I also, from my research, believe you've now got rid of that. And then the courses you mentioned, are they part of Swipe Files or are they external? And then also anything else you've been doing? Yeah. So uh, Haymarket has actually started from Bear Metrics. And the story there is that I was reaching out to a whole bunch of past customers and expired trials. And so this is an interesting case study, but it was my most successful campaign today. People say that cold email doesn't work. Like don't reach out, bother your old customers. I reached out to a few thousand past customers and expired trials. And today, this is my most successful campaign. It has a 90% open rate and a 16% reply rate. And I had, we got a lot of new customers, a lot of great insights, interesting conversations. For sure, it's probably like my favorite like thing that I've done just because it's so like outside of the box of normally what people do. And one of those happened to be this guy who said, Hey, you love what you're doing. You've been watching you following along. We want to hire someone like you. Could I pick your brain about who you are, how we might find someone like you? 
And then I can answer some questions about why we're no longer a Baymetrics customer. I thought, great, that sounds like an even trade. Let's hop on a call. I asked him my questions. And then he started asking me questions like, so how did you find Baymetrics? And what job boards do you follow? And how do you look for a new job? And so I started telling him, you know, you should post on places like we work remotely. And he'd say, well, we're not a remote company. And I said, well, you could go to X, Y, and Z. So, well, we're not that. And by the end of it, I was kind of like, I don't actually know. Like you could post on Twitter, but you could ask people to post for you, but there's not like a central place just for marketing jobs. And he was like, man, if I had a couple of weeks, I would just pay someone to build that. And I thought, oh, interesting. How about give me a couple of weeks. I'll spin something up. If I've spin it up, will you be my first customer? And he said, yeah. So I had known uh, Ben Tossel from MakerPad. And I knew that he had this tutorial on Webflow and how to build a job board. And so I spent a couple of weekends building the job board. I went back to this guy, the old Baymetrics customer and said, here it is. Do you want to post? He posted. I backfilled a whole bunch. And then it was on a product on the next day. And now actually, so that went, it went really well. It's gone exceptionally well for about a year. And then it came to a place where it was too hard for me alone to manage both the supply side and the demand side because it's a marketplace model. It was really hard to market both to marketers and to people hiring marketers and to do it in a sustainable way because I still had bills to pay for it, essentially. And I was getting help from my nephew. And so I thought about selling it, got a whole bunch of interesting inbound, ended up talking to a guy named Rich Thornett who had built and sold Dribble, one of the most successful sort of social networks and job boards for designers. And so when we talked, we hit it off right away. And I thought, this guy can take this way farther than I could. So I actually am still a minority owner. I still have a small stake. I still advise. We still talk. We still have a product vision. But he's doing all the day-to-day now. And I sort of handed off the reins to him. Amazing. Makes total sense. What else have you been building? Yeah. So I also created two courses. The first one was Mental Models for Marketing. Because I had realized mainly from the help of Dave Gerhardt, actually from Drift and listen to the Seeking Wisdom podcast, that a lot of marketing, I was basically doing a lot of like copy and paste kind of tactics and strategies and just kind of like running on this treadmill, like trying new stuff. And I realized that a lot of it really came down to principles and like fundamentals. And I kept thinking like, why can't I come up with my own unique strategies and tactics? So I started building this kind of database or list, however you want to call this document, of marketing principles and frameworks and sort of ways to think about marketing. And then when people would out jump on calls to people and they would ask for help and I'd say, okay, hold on, let me give me a second. Let me look through (laughs) my list of mental models and frameworks to reference and see what kind of spurs up. And it would always spur up great ideas. So I thought, oh, can I get a copy of that document? So eventually it was like, oh, maybe there's a course here. I spent about a month and just like knocked it out. I launched that. The launch went great. I thought, hey, why don't I do this for everything I've been learning at Bear Metrics? Because again, I was getting a lot of people saying, can you consult? Can you advise? Can you mentor? Can you answer this question? I didn't really have anything for them to point them to. So I decided to make Refactoring Growth, which is sort of the B2B SaaS growth playbook, and then built and launched that and also really well. really well. And then I moved straight on to Swipe Files. <laughs> and that was the next thing. And that was about a year ago. So, so launched externally and then you pull that into Swipe Files. Yeah. And then about three months ago, I didn't want to have all these like random things kind of floating out there. And they're both related to marketing. And I eventually wanted to bring that content in. So I basically just kind of bundled them under the brand of Swipe Files. And now you can get access to them individually, or I also have an all access membership with Swipe Files where you get the membership plus the courses at a discount. Got it. And, and so those two courses are not included in the $99 per year no. plan that you shared earlier. Mm-mm. That's separate. But there's like a basically a way to get them at a discount together if you wanted to. 
Got it. And so what's the plan going forward then? Are we going to obviously continue maintaining and growing swipe files? Are we continuing to launch external courses and bring them in with that strategy or do we have anything else in the roadmap? Yeah. So for swipe files, I really, really want to continue to invest in the community. And that's going to come in the form of just ways to engage with workshops and AMAs. And we're also, there's just like a great group of people in there where we talk strategy all the time and it's paid. So there's no spammy people or looky loos or people looking to sell. Like it's, there's no self-promotion at all. Now I have everything as marketing, which I think it will be kind of like a top of funnel thing to get people aware of swipe files as well. I'm planning on creating a couple more courses under swipe files and basically just kind of build like this bundle where eventually it'll be like this kind of track you can go down and explore and there will be something for everyone if you wanted to go really in depth on a topic within swipe files. And then for me personally, I mean, that's getting close to being kind of like my launchpad business where I'm default alive and I can sort of sustain myself. And I have stuff in the works. I can't really talk about it yet. It's, it'd be too early, but new ventures and new businesses uh, partnering with other people as well. So the uh, just to clarify for the audience, the launchpad business model with Andrew Wilkinson, who's the founder of Tidy, yeah. I believe. Could you just share like what that means and why you would want to start that up? Yeah, I mean, essentially, if you don't want to go the VC route and you want to raise a bunch of money and build like a billion dollar business, bootstrapping is really hard and self-funding is really hard because you either need to come from a place of wealth and privilege or like a previous success where then you can sort of fund your way into starting up a new business or you have to, for a long time, kind of straddle this consulting slash agency possibly and like use profits from that to funnel into a new business. And so his idea was basically to get like an early small win. It's like a basically just get in the game, get on base, as close a launchpad business. Because basically if you have that, if you have your basic costs and needs met, then that can unlock your time to do other things and spend another 30, 40 hours on another business while this thing kind of runs and hums in the background. So it unlocks you as a bootstrapper, both in your time and financially to work on something else. Awesome. So at the end of 2021, let's say we hit the thousand true fans and you're working a 50 hour week, would your ideal situation be 25 hours would be on swipe files and you'd have 25 hours open to do these other things? It depends. A lot of what I do with swipe files is just kind of passive working within the community. I batch a lot of tasks together. So honestly, the time needed within swipe files is not 25 hours a week at all. In fact, it's probably more like 25 hours a month. But either way, I like to have my hands on a lot of different cookie jars. I don't think of it as like splitting my time. Like there's a lot of overlap between them. But eventually, I mean, yeah, I'll have a full-time job somewhere else and Swipe Files will be sort of like the side project, if you will, if you want to think about that way. All right. So let's talk marketing. What do you think marketers should stop doing? Oh, man. I think that, again, this goes back to sort of the origins of mental models for marketing. I think that people, marketers especially, should stop being a copycat and just like regurgitating the same old stuff in your industry. Now, it's really easy to look to what other people are doing and then see those as the best practices. But it's kind of like a game of telephone where like I say one thing and the next person said, and then like by the end of it, we're like, wait, why are we doing this again? Like, why do we have chatbots on our website? And like, why is everyone going after like these keywords? And why are we like all doing the same types of events and campaigns and using the same words? And I think that that hurts us because if you only look to what your competitors and other people in your industry are doing, you're really, really limiting yourself and putting yourself in a box of what's possible for you and for your, for your business. And so conversely, I think what marketers should start doing is to look completely outside of the box, look to completely different industries, get inspiration from wildly different sources and types of people and different skills and, and backgrounds 
to really come up with new and innovative stuff. Because again, it's I see the same old stuff all the time and it's boring. That's why things don't, don't go well, because it's boring at the end of the day. You have to think outside the box. You have to be new. You have to be innovative in order to stand out today. Did you listen to the interview with the Gong CMO on Chris Walker's State of Demand Gen podcast where he essentially said this, they ended up doing a Super Bowl ad that cost them X amount of million dollars because of this, the exact thing you just said. It also reminds me of Seth Godin's book, Purple Cow, where there's like value in the thing just because it's different. And so you are going to get this bonus almost of attention by doing something that people are not sure about. And so I totally agree. Final question is, what do you think is one belief that most marketers hold that you disagree with? And it could be related to the answer you just gave, I guess. Yeah, I'll go in a different direction just for the sake of being different and giving something new. I think that we've largely left the term growth hacking. We sort of abandoned like that title and that position mostly. I think for good reasons. There were good intentions behind it. But I don't think we've abandoned the practices and beliefs of growth hacking, which is that it's all about these micro optimizations and funnel metrics and like making these tweaks and changes that will unlock a lot of growth. That's really only true at huge scale and for mainly kind of consumer businesses, especially for a B2B SaaS business. You're not going to optimize your way to success. You have to take big swings. You have to optimize or sorry, you have to innovate. You have to think outside the box. You have to do new and innovative things because everyone knows you're not going to get anything by changing the button color. But we do things like we'll change like a paragraph under the heading or we'll do like a slightly different ad in the campaign or we'll tweak the, you know, we'll do a landing page and it'll only be like a little bit different. And then people wonder why they don't get any better. They don't have any crazy results. It's because you're optimizing. And, and when you're working with small numbers, which most of us relatively are, you need really, really, really big numbers to get big results with optimizations. You have to be innovative. You have to do new things. You have to completely scrap it. Again, going back to Seth Godin, he talks about this idea of AJ testing because A and B are two alike. And you can't A-B test your way to success in B2B SaaS. You have to AJ, you have to do something very, very different in order to find what works. And so I really don't like the whole kind of ethos and practices of growth hacking, A-B testing within B2B SaaS context, mostly. Well, Corey, as we said at the start of the episode, you are going on this journey throughout marketing and it has been an absolute pleasure to map that right from the start all the way through the end. I also think that we did manage to pull out some marketing nuggets as well. And I'm super excited to see where you take this going forward, these new exciting projects. I think people listening should go to Apple Podcasts and they should search for everything is marketing. And they should also go to swipefiles.com because a thousand true fans is the goal for 2021, isn't it? That's right. It is. Absolutely. Corey, thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. And also, just by the way, if anyone wants to go and check out Swipe Files, I'd be happy. I've been doing like a, a special discount for each podcast that I go on. And if you use the discount code, coupon code confessions, I can get half off any one of the memberships on Swipe Files. There we go. Absolute no brainer. So the basic membership would be $48.5 with the code. Correct. Yeah. And you get access to everything within the community. There's the sort of like brain or vault of other Swipe Files. I have teardowns as, uh, available as well, special workshops and access to me if you wanted to chat as well. A link to that will be below or around this episode. So swipefiles.com, code confessions for 50% off. Corey, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. 
All right, team. Thank you so much for listening. It was an absolute pleasure having Corey on. What a guy. What a journey. I can't wait to see what he does in the future. Of course, if you want to get a shout out on the show, simply go to Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and review, send me a screenshot, and I'll get you a shout out on a future show. On Thank you so much for listening. I am going to be doing, I think the next episode is going to be just a solo update on how Bcast and Fame have been going on a lot of developments, a lot of growth. So I'll dig into what has happened, but also the learnings from that, of course. If you have any questions about anything that we're doing, you can reach me, tom at tomhunt.io. And of course, I want to thank you so much for listening. The feedback I've been getting on the podcast recently has been incredible. And every message or email or review or rating that I get makes me feel absolutely amazing. So I want to thank you all for listening. And I hope to hear from you soon.